Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at yourclassical.org. Soundtracks for every moment of the day and features that complement your listening experience. Movies at yourclassical.org. Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. It is so nice to be back in the studio with you. I never thought I'd hear your voice again. <laughs> I thought I'd lost you. <laughs> well, the last podcast that came out, you know, a little bit late, the last podcast came out just a few days ago. Um, we pre-recorded that. That was virtual you. That was virtual me, but it still relied on me being here to release that episode. Yes, exactly. But the reason why that podcast came out late and the reason why I, I've missed you so much is because I was trapped in Fort Lauderdale. Sounds terrible. Have you been to Fort Lauderdale? I used to live in Fort Lauderdale. That's Are you what kidding I thought. me? That's what I thought because only afterward did my boyfriend and I say, we should have asked Rafer what to do while we were here. Because I'm like, I was like, I could have sworn that Rafer was like in an alligator tasting contest in Fort Lauderdale at that one was, point. That was in Central Florida. That was in Orlando. But you were eating alligators in oh, Florida. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, there's all, I mean, there are really only two things to do in uh, Fort Lauderdale, and that's eat, uh, eat shrimp and drink. <laughs> that's pretty much it. We did drink. Excellent. We sat on the canals and we drank and we did some people watching at the... Um, Los Olas Mall. Uh, so I used to live right down there. Oh, did you? Uh, that's where I used to get my co- my coffee in the morning. Wow. Of course. There's some interesting people watching. Oh, I'll bet. You know what people in Fort Lauderdale look like? Mm-hmm. Not like Brooklyn people. No, they don't. And you know what? I, I'm sure they thought the same of us when they saw us. They're like, <laughs> those people do not look like they belong here. <laughs> oh, they don't. Great. More New Yorkers <laughs> down here in South Florida. Just what we needed. <laughs> How exotic. Yeah. But the reason I was trapped down there is because we'd been on a vacation in Costa Rica. Yeah. And then on the way back, I don't know if you heard there was this volcano that was happening yes. in Costa Rica. And the volcano caused a bunch of delays in different flights. And then a bunch of flights ended up being overbooked. So we flew from Costa Rica to Fort Lauderdale. And then our connecting flight, it turned out, was overbooked. And so was the connecting flight after that and the connecting flight after that. Wow. And so we had to wait 36 hours in Fort Lauderdale. Waitress, another zombie, please. <laughs> that was you. <laughs> That's so true. Keep that it's shrimp funny coming. It's true. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you're back, oh, Kristen. I'm so relieved to be back. It's so nice to be back here with you, Rafer. Ready to talk about all of the exciting movies this week. And by exciting, I mean, mm, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll, yeah, see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll we see. We got two. About them. We got two coming out this week. Yes, we do have two coming out this week. One with Kristen Wiig. This movie is called Welcome to Me. And then. The Avengers, Age of Ultron, the latest Marvel Disney extravaganza with, uh, well, there's too many people to list in the cast right now. Thousands. We'll cast get, of We'll thousands. get to that. <laughs> but... we, we also have a sweatpants pick this week. And, of course, um, we'll discuss that and trivia. But before all of that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Date. Kristen, let's start off first with Welcome to Me, the Kristen Wiig film. Now, you're a huge Kristen Wiig fan. You know, I was late to the game. I initially thought when she was on SNL that she was kind of always playing the same irritating character. But then after Bridesmaids and and, and after the movie that you hated with Ben Stiller. Oh, God. (laughs) Walter Mitty. I liked her in that, too. Walter Mitty. I liked that. Oh, I hated I know her in you that. Hate that movie. I know you hate it. And I hated her, I have to say, in that film as well. Oh, I liked her. I liked her. I, I think that when she plays more well-rounded human characters rather than just irritating ticks. Yeah. Because on SNL, her whole job was to play the equivalent of some sort of anxiety disorder. 
And and in this new movie, she also is playing somebody with these disorders, but she's not playing the disorder itself, I think, quite as much as in the SNL world. Does that make sense? Well, tell us about it. So in Welcome to Me, she's a woman who is mentally ill. I believe she has borderline personality disorder. Yes. Um, uh, she's also in the past been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, manic depression. She goes off her meds. Right around the same time, she wins the lottery. And she uses all this money to start her own talk show because she is somebody who copes with a lot of her anxiety through TV and specifically through Oprah episodes that she has completely, the whole catalog on VHS yes. watches all the time. And by all the time, we mean her television set never gets shut off even when she leaves the house. And this money and this new talk show is going to be her salvation, so she thinks. Here's a clip. I want a talk show with me as the host. You want to talk about current events? No. Mm, what kind of stuff do you want to talk about? Me. Mm. How much will that cost? $15 million. Oh, and I want to come in on a swan boat. So that's Kristen Wiig. She's playing Alice Klieg. And uh, so the, the, name, the name of the film is the name of her show, Welcome to Me. Um, so, Kristen, what did you think of this film? What did you think of the premise, first of all? Well, I liked the premise, actually. I mean, I thought everything was kind of quirky and bizarre, and I don't think it's unusual for people in our self-help world to take maybe a little too much comfort either from a TV person like Oprah or from Dr. Phil or from self-help books or, you know. So I, I found all of that plausible, and I also really like the cast. The cast is terrific in this movie. Cast. Yeah, we have Tim Robbins in it. We have Joan Cusack. Jennifer Jason Lee, Wes Bentley, James Marsden. It's quite a list. It's quite a cast. It's a really great cast. Plus, Linda Cardellini, who is in both our movies this week. That's she's right. from Freaks and Geeks. But also in The Avengers. Yes, that's right. And she she's great in the movie, too. So I, I like the cast. I liked the quirkiness. I liked the premise. But I'm just going to do a little bit of a giveaway here. I don't think it fully went everywhere it could have gone and by the end, I felt almost that it was like, oh, uh, here's an easy out. Here's a cop out for the movie. Hmm. Um, it didn't fully know what to do with her. I think I was expecting it to blow up into a kind of a new version of Network, the old you know media satire with yes. you know, Peter Finch. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Different, different theme, different tone. But I kind of kept thinking that I was going to get some sort of larger commentary on – the media, on fame, um, on the idea that uh, we don't really exist these days unless someone's watching us, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is, which is all, I think, still very relevant and very interesting. There's something about the fact that this was all about a television show that seemed just a tiny bit dated to yeah, me. Yeah, like it should have been a YouTube series or right. maybe it should have been um, a live blogging thing or something that was... I mean, in which case she wouldn't need any of the infrastructure. There would be no need for her to win the lottery and get her own television station and make her own show. She could have just been doing that in the first place. So I sort of understand a little bit of why the film is structured that way, why television comes into the picture rather than just a webcam and, you know, your own YouTube channel. But there was something a little bit... Yeah, just a little bit behind the curve about it in that sense. And I agree with you that in the end, um, it doesn't quite you're, – you're waiting for this ex- – some kind of explosive, weird, true freak-out moment that, that doesn't, just doesn't, happen. doesn't quite happen in the way 
that I think would truly satisfy you. But I, I did think Kristen Wiig was really good, and I did think the rest of the cast was quite good. And there oh, were yeah. definitely some moments where I really laughed. I, th- I mean, there were definitely some very funny and weird, funny and very nicely observed moments. The, the show itself, Welcome to Me, is very funny to watch. Oh, the, yeah. The, the credits, the titles, the logos. They're very good. They're yeah. very well done. Yeah, and, and to go back to something I was saying earlier, Kristen Wiig isn't just playing... Um, some sort of tick or some sort of issue. She's actually playing more of a person yeah. in this, and yes. and I and I think that she's a person who doesn't just have anxieties, but has moments of self realization too. Yeah. But still, all of that being said, I wanted it to be better. Would you say Welcome to Me is a good date? Okay, bad. I'd say it's a fine date. A fine date. A fine date. You know what? If you're going to be just sitting on the couch one night with some popcorn and you want something on that you're not going to have to remember or think too much about later, but it's perfectly pleasant while you're watching it, I think that's what kind of date welcome to me is. I hate to say it, but it's uh, it's coming out on uh, video on demand fairly soon um, if it's not out already. Um, and I hate to do this because I love the theaters and I don't want to take anything away from the theater industry. But um, this might be the kind of movie that you would want to wait for VOD. Mm. Might be a good video on demand date. Ah, sweatpants down the road. Down, <laughs> down the road, perhaps. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to the the big film. The big one. So big that we can't even list all the cast members. Let's because try. Because there are trillions of them. Let's try. Let's Scarlett try to list. Scarlett Johansson is. Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. James Spader. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Jeremy Renner. Elizabeth Olsen. Samuel L. Jackson. That girl from <laughs> How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I'm serious. Don Cheadle. Anthony Mackie. Uh, I mean, we could go on, right? We could go on. Of course, we're talking there about the Avengers. Thousands of people in this movie. Age thousands. Of Ultron. Uh, now not this, Voltron. Not Voltron. Which I no. actually thought it was originally, and I was <laughs> like, "Oh my gosh, what is going on with this franchise?" Oh my God, Marvel meets Hasbro. <laughs> now, what's next? <laughs> Age of Smurfette. <laughs> the world's gone crazy. Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> no, it's uh, this is Age of Ultron. Ultron is a Artificial intelligence that uh, Iron Man and Dr. Bruce Banner, played by Mark Ruffalo, they build Ultron together. They think this is going to be a good thing to save the world, uh, uh, bring peace to mankind forever. Of course, it doesn't work out that way. Ultron decides he wants to destroy everybody, including the Avengers. Here's a clip. Everyone creates the thing they dread. Men of peace create engines of war. Invaders create Avengers. Is that why you've come? To end the Avengers. I've come to save the world. But also, yeah. That is James Spader as Ultron. The great James Spader. Everyone he's loves so James Spader. so slippery. I know. I love him. You could, you, you, even, if you, even though he's uh, sort of enshrouded in computer-generated imagery, it's all a motion capture performance, that voice really does come through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He's very funny in it. Um, uh, that said... I think it's fair to say that you and I did not like this movie at all. I didn't even know what the story was until you just gave that description, Rafer. I have no idea of, <laughs> you know, what this movie is about. I feel that the story came very secondary to the action scenes. I don't think that they 
cared about cohesiveness or about motivation. One scene didn't really seem to lead to the next. Right. It may as well have just been like, let's take this action scene and move it over here. Let's take this action scene and move it 20 minutes up here. Yeah. Let's have some witty banter here and Robert Downey Jr. giving a one-liner there. And then let's have this hammer do this thing here. And <laughs> I don't really think that... It mattered whether or not there was a story because all they cared about was comic book fans are going to be excited to see their characters. But for people like me who are not superhero fans, it was just a hot mess. I am going to have to agree with you. I liked the first Avengers and I did not like um, this one essentially for all the reasons that you're saying. Um, However, rather than force listeners to listen to you and I Bitch about the Avengers for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> We're going to have some deeper insights. Let's get a better conversation going. We're going to ask the larger question of whether or not superheroes are killing the movies. These things are coming out at a rapid fire pace. They seem like they're the only movies that are playing in theaters anymore. And so we've invited two people to come join us for this conversation. Uh, one is Scott Rosenberg. He's the entertainment editor for AM New York, frequent guest of the podcast. And the other is his colleague at AM New York, news editor Rob Levin. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Um, so, Rob, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out to you first. It, is, is this a good thing for movies? Oh, I I don't think it is at all. I mean, I guess on one level, it's not a bad thing to have people enthused about going to the movies. But in terms of film culture in general, I feel like there's been a tremendous dumbing down, a tremendous sameness. And uh, largely, it's because these films all follow a formula. There might be, you know, slight differences, but fundamentally, these are the same movies. And I don't know, I, I would prefer diversity and prefer more of a sense of a range of storytelling. And Scott? Well, I mean, I'm all for more of them. I enjoy them. But, I mean, every rom-com follows a formula, too. Every Shakespearean play follows some kind of general formula because there's a heroic quest, and that's the formula of everything. Sure. I, I don't want to gang up on you, Scott. But I'm right. going to do too it. Late. I'm going right. to right. do it because I don't understand why so many of these superhero movies have to have such complicated, muddled storylines you know, the Age of Ultron, the new Avengers movie, mm-hmm. I don't really think I understood 90% of what was happening in this movie. I almost felt that I was watching a foreign language film without subtitles with this movie. I really have no idea what was going on. And I feel that these superhero movies maybe are only going to be understood and really loved and enjoyed by people who know these superhero worlds. Am I wrong? How do you, how do you guys feel about this? I think Scott the box office tells you that you're wrong. <laughs> how much money have they made? They reached a really broad audience. You know, but f- fundamentally, box office has a lot to do with advertising. If you saturate the market with ads and ad dollars, people are going to respond to it and go to it. And I don't know that the standard of oh, these movies are hits is necessarily the right you know approach to take or the right standard to take in terms of determining their worthiness. The way I look at the issue is that. There's a fundamental corporatization that comes into this in terms of the amount of control Marvel has over these movies, in terms of what they're trying to accomplish on a level beyond what's seen on screen that I think sets them apart. Well, in terms of the confusion, I mean, I, you know, I challenge someone who's with little experience to the more obscure Shakespeare plays to go in and tell exactly what's happening in some of those because sure. that also might as well be a foreign language. Sure. Um, you know, in terms of uh, of the plot, I mean, these are catering toward people who have been watching. This is not the first Avengers movie. This is like 
Was it the seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever it is? Five hundred. If you're talking about Iron Man and Thor, and right, yeah. So it's building up this thing, and I, you know, I sit there and I'm very well versed in this stuff, so I know when they go to Wakanda, I know what that's setting up. Right, you know, the Black Black Panther is coming. The Black Panther is coming. I know who, you know, I I know what that's setting up, and you know, to me, I'm like, all right, so they're building a world, which is. What comic books have always done, they build a world and you would have Spider-Man showing up here and Wolverine would be sure. there. And, sure. You know, so I, I look at this as, is it complicated? Sure. But, you know, if it came back with like a very simple plot, I think that people would be like, this is simple. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I have to say I felt that this Avengers seemed like a really weak point in the whole in the whole Marvel continuum to me. I really felt that this was... Um, one of these movies that just could not wait to get to the next action scene and could barely even bother to describe to you what was happening or why. I remember there's a uh, segment in it when um, uh, the Hulk begins fighting Iron Man, and I remember thinking, well, this is probably fun for fans, but why is this happening? Why, why in God's name are they fighting? And I'm, sh- and I'm sure there was some... I'm sure there was some excuse thrown because to me, but I, I missed think... it because it just happened so fast. And I liked the first Avengers, the first Avengers movie quite a bit. I like the Iron Man movies. I think even the Thor movies, which I find mm. sort of irksome, yeah. have a sense of humor about themselves. But this one just seemed so repetitive. I was, I'm so tired of seeing that, that doomsday device on some high peak somewhere, whether it's a tower or a mountain or a, or a rising piece of land or what. I'm, I'm so tired of seeing that finale. It's the same finale that I've seen in in almost every Marvel movie I can think of. And I get I do have to say I get a little exhausted by it. But do you just feel like again, since we're since we're belaboring the analogy, do you just feel like that's that 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 finale is to the comic book film what the showdown is to the Western? Do you just feel like this is the built in storyline that's going to have to happen if you have a comic book superhero film? Well you're you know, what action film's not going to want to end with the big villain fighting the heroes True. at the big climax of the thing? I mean, the last True. Hobbit movie was a battle of five armies. <laughs> That's correct. And it never five ended. Army. No, it so didn't. Repetitive. End. It's still running right now. <laughs> um, I mean, that's what it is. You know, the the good guys fight the bad guys in the biggest battle. You're building up to this climax. I mean, and I'll explain the uh, the, the Hulk and uh, Iron Man battle to you after. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We'll, it, we'll okay, but, but Rob, I have a question. Yeah. You know, overall in the industry, do you think that there's some chance that maybe the reason these movies are the way they are are because so much of the ticket sales now are coming from foreign markets? Does that have anything to do with it? Oh, absolutely. 110%. I mean, you know, you want to – I think like, you know, the big credo now on these big movies is to make movies that people in China and Japan can understand without knowing English, without even really much dialogue at all. So it's it's absolutely – 100% true. And that's not inherently a bad thing. I mean, I don't really have a problem with aspiring to make global movies. The problem I have is that the way Hollywood works is once something hits, they keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. So, yeah, okay, I'm fine with a few of these. I thought Guardians of the Galaxy did some different stuff. It was comic. Mm -hmm. You know, it was funny. It, It kind of stepped away. My problem with it is that, like Rafer was saying, the the sameness in terms of maybe just this original phase, I don't know the technical term for it, but the sameness in terms of the way these movies are being sold and, and made and crafted and written is what's really getting to me. Now, maybe down the road, 
there might be some hope if there's a, if there's a chance to to get away from from that model a bit. But fundamentally, I'm I'm fairly skeptical that that will ever happen. To last last question: Do either of you feel like there could come some turning point before 2020, which is which is the the, the horizon that we that we're looking at for all these 30 to 35 superhero movies that are coming out? Do you feel? Like that could get derailed. Do you feel like there is a there is a chance that there will be a corner will be turned where these things where people start to sour and this genre starts to fade before 2020? Or do you just think we're in it for the long haul? I think. Okay, here's my here's my thoughts. You're looking at some of the Marvel movies and those do really, really well. The Fantastic Four is a Marvel property, but it's not made by Marvel. I think that's going to be an interesting thing. As well as the DC movies, how is Batman Superman? It's not getting a lot of good No, it's not. (laughs) So, you know, Marvel's kind of found a way to make a lot of money and make, you know, movies that do really well and people really, you know, apparently just me, really like them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, the DC has not really found that. That's true. That key here for their movies and Green Lantern was kind of a disaster. I mean, Batman did well, but the other ones have not been doing well, and they have like six, eight movies coming up too. Right. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if other places they're able to to do well with this. Besides Marvel. You know, I feel almost if the Marvel ones were the only ones coming out, which is obviously never never going to happen, there would be a little more, you know, acceptance, I think, like because it wouldn't be there's like 800 more coming out. It's just these... They follow formula, sure, but they they they're good for the populace. Where the other ones are not. So in a way, you're saying it's sort of it's sort of it's DC's game to screw up. It's 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 DC 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 is going to be the 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 weak link in the chain, if anything. Yeah, I mean, they got to find a way to to do things. You know, I, sure, there's going to be a backlash, but if something like an obscure character like the Guardians of the Galaxy is going to bring in how much money? Billion? Oh yeah. I mean, you know. Why you know Marvel? If they have Spider-Man now, how's that going to make ten billion? Right, Rob. Yeah. What do you think? Well, first of all, I, I I would bet. I don't know for a fact, but I would bet that even the Green Lantern turned a profit. I so, I don't I don't think it, the uh, the Ryan Reynolds Asia probably okay probably maybe yeah, okay all. to all start right. factoring global box office. So there's that. I'm skeptical about this changing anytime soon. I don't really think there's going to be a turning point because. The, again, it just goes back to the increasing, increasing corporate takeover of these places. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. And so they're going to just keep going with what works. And people seem to have a limitless appetite for this stuff. I mean, honestly, true. The, this room here with three of us sort of against one is is the absolute opposite of what right. the, ah, <laughs> the reality is. <laughs> so true. I just want to also add, it's not helping that the highest ra- like running uh, rated Netflix show right now is Daredevil. Uh huh. Yeah. So they're they're yep. expanding. It's not just movies anymore. Oh no no they're you going no, they're going everywhere. You got Daredevil. Right. You're gonna have a lot more coming up too. So they're taking over. I I believe me. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And if, if if you know, I mean, it's not a Marvel film, but The Dark Knight is a great movie. So great I mean, movie. If yeah, the right wonderful. filmmakers take on this stuff and do and, and make movies that are different, just please be different. That, that, that's <laughs> my. I, I will second that. You have a second that? You want oh, the variety. consensus okay. in the room. Yeah, you want wow. variety. Yeah. 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 Not the yeah. same movie over and over again. I like the first Captain America a lot, yeah. too. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Something a little different, something a little bit, right. bit beautiful about that movie. Yeah, that serial yeah. feel, yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we've been talking with Scott Rosenberg. He's the entertainment editor of AM New York and his colleague slash enemy, Rob Levin, <laughs> news editor and film critic for AM New York. Uh, we'll see you guys back here in uh, 2020 for Ant-Man 6. Right. Thanks for having me. I'll be us. on the mountain there defending. <laughs> Stop that doomsday device, Scott. <laughs> well, that was a great conversation about something that I can't stand, but that's not it. Stay with us, movie daters, because coming up, we have this week's sweatpants pick. Plus, as always, trivia. Movie Date this week is supported by Casper. They're a bed company, an online bed company. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Whenever you get something online, you have to try it on. And usually if you try it on, that's it. How are you going to return it's it? It's all over with. It's right? all over with. But what's great about Casper is... You get to keep this bed for 100 nights, 100 nights of laughs, loves, movie dates, all of the great things that you want to happen on a bed for 100 nights. If for any reason this bed doesn't work out for you, totally hassle-free returns. But you probably won't want to return it because it's made with all these wonderful materials. Latex foam and memory foam. Ooh, love those. The prices range from $500 to $950, which seems pretty reasonable to me in the bed world. But even more reasonable when you enter the promo code movie date. And how you do that is you go into casper.com slash movie date. And again, you enter the promo code M-O-V-I-E-D-A-T-E. And you'll save an additional $50 on your first Casper bed. So go to casper.com slash movie date. Movie Date is supported by the movie music stream at yourclassical.org, a new site for expertly curated streams, unique programs, and relevant features to promote calm and focus. Click, listen, and relive your favorite moments on the silver screen. Find a steady stream for your epic scenes with movies at yourclassical.org. This is Movie Date. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Rafer, let's get to what we have to get to, which is sweatpants. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. Some appropriate hard rock there. Yes. Sweatpants. Yes. Because this week we're going to review uh, Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck. It's directed by Brett Morgan, who did uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture. He also did uh, The Chicago 10, lesser-seen film, but one that I liked very much. And in this uh, film, he's basically telling us the, the – this is the authorized biography, I guess we should say, uh, of Kurt Cobain, uh, approved by his family. Um, and he takes a look at Kurt Cobain from his childhood, practically his infancy, all the way up through his uh, rise to fame as uh, the lead singer of Nirvana, the uh, torchbearer for an entire generation, and then, of course, his uh, suicide. Here's a clip. <laughs> Who are you, Kurt? Who are you? Who are you? Goodbye. I'm Kurt Cobain. Yay. Yay! Oh, that's itty-bitty little Kurt Cobain, about yeah. three years old from a home movie, talking with his mom. This movie, Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck, is premiering on HBO on Monday, May 4th at 9 p.m., but it's also in limited release in theaters right now. So, Rafer, let's talk about this film. First of all, are you a Kurt Cobain fan? You know, uh, I'm going to commit uh, 90s Generation X treason right here and say that I never did like 
Nirvana that much. Um, mm. I found that band to be a relentless bummer. And um, for some reason, I just never – somehow that zeitgeist just did not did not hook me and pull me in. I don't know why. Is it because you were still a goth at this point? No. <laughs> No, uh, Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> Rafer in his pantyhose made out of black fishnet. Yeah, I can get into that a different time. I won't. I won't. I won't bother anybody by slicing and dicing subcultures here, which I could do for the next hour and a half. But I will just say that um, for some reason, I just never um, that Nirvana never really spoke to me the way that the way it did to uh, apparently every single other person on the planet my age. Um, so no, I was not a huge. Cobain fan, although I do remember being completely rocked by the day that uh, he committed suicide, but when the news broke of his suicide, I remember thinking somehow that seemed major uh, and that something really kind of, I don't know what, disastrous had happened there. And I remember thinking, is this just because I'm pop culture guy, music guy, you know, and that's kind of my wheelhouse? But I almost feel like it proved to be the case that the death of Kurt Cobain killed um, – kind of killed rock entirely as everyone said later. And I think it turned out to be true. It turned out to be a much more resonant thing than just another celebrity death. Yeah, and it's amazing when you think about it. He and Nirvana, they only released three albums when he was alive. Oh, I know. And I mean, in terms in terms of everyone's consciousness, in terms of the, the albums that everyone knows and the career that everyone knows, it was incredibly brief. It was yeah. a brief flash in the pan. It was so brief. I saw Nirvana play when I didn't even know who they were. They were opening for a band that I just loved called Dinosaur Jr. when I was in high school. Wow, they opened for Dinosaur they Jr. They opened for Dinosaur Jr. And they had an bill. album out called Bleach at the time. Yep. And... Um, and that was my introduction to them, and I was wild about them. I thought, this was unbelievable. I might like them better than Dinosaur Jr. <laughs> <laughs> better than Jay Maskus? Come on. I know. A shock. A shock. And So you're a fan. I, I was a pretty big fan back in the day. I really was. But we have to keep in mind, it was 21 years ago yeah. that he killed himself. This isn't, you know, there were kids today that weren't even alive when, yeah. you know, it, it's amazing when you yeah. think about it. They, they just weren't even alive. Like we had an intern in not that long ago working at The Takeaway who said, you know, I like oldies too. My parents listened to Nirvana, so I heard that growing up. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Oh, but so true. Good times. Good times. Anywho, so this movie, it's the first fully authorized, with the cooperation of the family, mm-hmm. documentary made. Francis Bean is the executive producer of yep. it. And, you know, it claims to be showing us more of Kurt Cobain, a more personal version of his life, his own journals, his own words, his own art, than anything else that's ever been made. So, Ray, for, as a non-fan of Kurt Cobain, you're pretty objective here. What did, what did you think of this movie? Well, I liked it. Um, I, the reviews for this uh, film have been uh, just beyond glowing. People have gone literally insane for it. Um, they just, I'm they, one of them. And you're one of them. Yeah, I know. You love this movie. I like this movie. I like this movie. Um, I don't feel that it told me anything particularly new about the Kurt Cobain story. Um, it does break a little bit of news, or at least what will come as news to most people. Um, back in the 90s, there was a huge controversy over whether or not uh, Courtney Love had taken heroin while she was pregnant with Francis Bean. And as it turns out, she did. And here's a clip of her speaking to the filmmakers. I did do heroin when I was pregnant. 
And then I stopped. And I knew she would be fine. Come on! So he was never concerned that our child would have... I, I assured him that I was built like an oxen and could, ha could carry this pregnancy to term and not have any problems. But, you know, I was a young woman. The pregnancy isn't the problem. It's the being around a junkie while I'm pregnant when I'm a junkie too, and I know the minute that baby's out, I'm going to go shoot up in celebratory fashion. That's to me, is one of the more fascinating uh, moments in the film. It really does give you kind of a window into a very different life that most of us are not living and yeah. a different attitude towards drugs and parenthood <laughs> that most of us do not have. Oh, yeah, and we're seeing so much of their home movies. There, there are hours and hours of home movies that Brett Morgan, the director, had to you know go through to find the best moments to show us of them doing everything just from being in the bathroom, putting on deodorant, yeah. to you know sitting on the couch and singing, giving each other piggyback rides around the living room. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, a lot of it, like the rest of us, only completely high. Yes. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that appears to be the case, yes. Um, I thought those moments were really interesting, and I think the one, the one really fresh insight I got from this film comes at the very beginning of the movie when Brett Morgan establishes this idea that Kurt Cobain came from a broken home, uh, divorced parents, and he wanted that very traditional, conservative, comfortable nuclear family, that kind of old-fashioned, 1950s-style suburban home life. Uh, and at the same time, that was taken away from him, and so he lashed out at it. And that seemed, um, that seemed to explain a lot to me. And so that was, the one, that was the one thing that I thought this film offered me that I hadn't really thought of before. Here's a clip of his sister talking about that. His sister is Kim Cobain. He wanted normalcy. He wanted the mom, the dad, and the kids and everything happy. But then he didn't because he kind of fought against it. So he fought against what he really wanted. I think they set up the whole film that way, where you're seeing his struggles with custody, going back and forth between houses, having a stepmom and step-siblings and not necessarily liking that, but then wanting desperately to create his own kind of nuclear family, but the most messed up, drug-addled version of a nuclear family you could ever imagine. And Yeah, and you could, you could see this kind of push-pull between the thing that you want and the thing that you hate being the same thing. You saw that in his in his public persona, at least, because what I recall of Nirvana through the 90s was this real, uh, this untenable position that every grunge band was in, which was, we're, we're the bastard stepchildren, underground kids, and all of a sudden we are all filthy rich rock stars on major labels. How do we reconcile these two things? And, you know, you remember Kurt Cobain showing up on the cover of Rolling Stone with the T-shirt that said corporate magazines still suck. Um, you know, and right there, I remember, I remember seeing that when I was a kid. I remember that cover and just going like, well, there it is. There's the, <laughs> there's the big dilemma that everyone's facing now in the 1990s right there in one shot on the cover of Rolling Stone. That just sums it up. Yeah, and he was simultaneously... Um, reliant on the media to be famous, but also famously gave horrible interviews. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and, we, and we see some of those. Yes. yes, and we see a lot of those in the movie. One thing we don't see, though, that's very notable is the absence of um, one of his band members. That you know, Nirvana only during most of their time together 
they only had three band members, and one of those band members, Dave Grohl, is notably absent from the movie. He's almost absent from the footage. I mean, he's he's barely in any of the uh, the clips that are shown, let alone being spoken to. Chris Novoselic is spoken to quite a bit and offers what I thought was some really moving interviews. You know, he you can tell he the whole thing still he still feels very deeply about it. Uh, oh, yeah, very haunted. He, yeah. he seems very guilt-ridden and haunted and pained over all of it still. Yeah. Uh, Dave Grohl, you know, who has had his battles in public, I think, with uh, Courtney Love, not in the film. Whether that's why he's not in the film, I don't know. Uh, but that is kind of a glaring absence. I, I liked the film. Um, I thought it was a, a little on the long side, and I didn't feel that it gave me a lot of context around certain certain landmark moments in the Nirvana history. For instance, the Unplugged album, which was just this galvanizing, industry-changing moment. Uh, okay, uh, good point. But, but I just I felt that it didn't quite... I knew this because I'm a former rock critic and music fan guy, but I'm not sure if... I, I felt like I, even I wanted a little bit more context around some of those things. The mm-hmm. release of In Utero, the release of Nevermind, the, 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 when Smells Like Teen Spirit you know, shot to you know, number, number one. one yeah. All those kinds of things. I felt like I would have wanted Brett Morgan to tell me a little bit more about what this meant to the world. And I got... And it was more just focused on Kurt Cobain, which perhaps was his point. Maybe that was his intention. Yeah. I mean, I think it was. This was his family's version of Mm -hmm. what they wanted a biography to be. And they authorized it. They masterminded it. And in the end, I think, if nothing else, even if it doesn't tell us everything we want to hear about Nirvana, it shows a man's life in such a beautiful way because all of the animation, the way the storytelling elements all work together. We see his personal journals that are brought to life that become 3D versions of storytelling. They're just like notes he scrawled out that suddenly become animated and move around the screen. It's a beautiful, beautiful documentary. And um, I I might be partial here because I was a fan of the band, but I think that even if you're not, you might be moved by just the way the storytelling elements work together here. So you think Montage of Heck was just like a fantastic date? Absolutely. And that's why it's our sweatpants pick for the week, because I forced it on you, Ray. <laughs> that's because, not true. No, you think it's an OK date, right? I think it's no, I think it's a really good date. I think I think I think the, I think this is a really good movie. I just I wasn't quite as um, it, did, it didn't take my breath away the way that it has for for many other people. That's all. OK. All right. So overall montage of heck. Good yep, date. Definite. Definitely a good date. Definite recommendation. Excellent. Well, it's that time, Rafer. You mean trivia? The time when we do our trivia, yes. And last week, you might recall, we were talking about summer blockbusters, all the movies that are coming out this summer. And we looked back at a summer blockbuster that kind of started summer blockbusters from 40 years ago. We played this clip. What's that one? What? That one there on your arm. Oh, it's a tattoo. I got that removed. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Mother. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? Tohoku, that's the USS Indianapolis. (laughs) We got a lot of right answers, and some of them coded in very interesting ways. Here's one of those answers. Show me the way to go home. Bum, 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 I'm tired and I want to go to bed. 
I had a drink about an hour ago, and it went straight to my head. That answer is like an art film. There's no, there's no beginning. There's no intro. No credits. <laughs> you no won't even tell us your name, but we know how to look up phone numbers. Yeah, that's right. We tracked you down. <laughs> we tracked you down. So that song that you're singing is its own trivia answer and trivia question all at once for Jaws. Of course, the Steven Spielberg classic, and that's the song that uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Scheider, and Robert Shaw sing on their boat at the near the end of the film. Yes, Jaws. And we know because of, you know, phone number reversal looking up, Jeff from South Orange. We know that's you. We're pretty sure that's you, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. All right, Rafer, what's this week's trivia question? Well, we've been talking about the star-packed, I would almost say star-overstuffed cast <laughs> of the Avengers. Uh, two of the biggest uh, names in the, in the Avengers are Robert Downey Jr., of course, and then James Spader. And we realize that those two have shared a screen before. Hmm, where? Let's play you this clip. All you have to do is relax. I'm going to pay you back. All you need to do is trust me. I don't want to trust you, Julian. I just want my 50K, all right? What's going on? Julian! Everyone is accountable. Make me understand, Julian. I really want to understand. If you know the name of that classic 80s film with Robert Downey Jr. and James Spader, give us a call. 5717-MOVIES. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. <laughs> 